The following is a Red Apple Podcast Network presentation. They say this is a big, rich town. I just come from the poet's part. Bright light, city life, I gotta make it. Welcome to Dominic Carter's podcast. This is Dominic Carter's City Hall. Now, here's Dominic Carter. Red Apple Podcast Talk Radio 77 WABC. You can listen to me, Dominic Carter, Monday through Friday, midnight to 1 a.m. You have to love and admire the spirit, the tenacity of 25-year-old Julia Fodham. The EMT stabbed by a patient repeatedly, an unhinged man in the back of an ambulance on the Upper West Side of Manhattan is back home. Released to a flood of emotion from fellow paramedics and vowing the experience will not change her. This is my podcast. Let's go. The sad reality is paramedics are sitting ducks when it comes to attacks from the public, especially from those that are unhinged, from EDPs, an emotionally disturbed person. The potential for such an attack goes from zero to a thousand people suffering from mental illness. What EMTs do is a calling in terms of helping people, people at their weakest moment. Sadly, 25-year-old EMT Julia Fodham became the latest casualty. It's a damn shame, but at least she escaped with her life. She was stabbed reportedly by an unhinged man, 48-year-old Rudy Garcia, while she was treating him in an ambulance on the evening of July 19th. The suspect, an ex-con with eight prior arrests, pulled out a knife and allegedly stabbed her multiple times in the leg, arm, and chest just outside of Mount Sinai West, a hospital located on 10th Avenue. The stabbing left the first responder, Fodham, hospitalized fighting for her life, and she required surgery. Family and co-workers gathered outside of the hospital, lining up outside the main entrance to cheer on Fodham as she was discharged following a full week of care with bandages over numerous stab wounds. The group erupted with applause as Fadam was wheeled out of the facility with the 25-year-old greeting her well-wishers with a smile and a warm wave. This is how Channel 7 Eyewitness News covered Fodham's release. It's a moment everybody knows deep down came uncomfortably close to not happening, and so a tremendous show of support for Julia Fodham. The EMT faces a long, challenging road to recovery, but today went home from the hospital. I'm overwhelmed. Like, I can't believe there's so many people here that can see the value in her. 
The 25-year-old was severely injured while transporting a patient in the back of an ambulance. Just as they pulled up to the hospital, Rudy Garcia allegedly stabbed Julia with the kitchen knife he had in his boot. Trying to protect herself, she curled up is why the more serious stab wounds are on her arms and thigh instead of her chest. Julia's partner there in the blue bandana and others rushed to help. I never feared for my life coming into work as I fear now. Greg has been an EMT for 30 years. A patient with an axe once chased him. He and others are demanding the city add more safety measures like protective gear. And when they get in a bind, send the NYPD. Right now, oftentimes, only another ambulance shows up. Save big money when you start your next project today at Menards. Check out our great selection of garage and utility lighting options in stock, ready to take home today. We carry everything to help you illuminate whatever project you're working on. Shop garage and utility lighting products in store at your nearest Menards. You can also view all of our entire selection of lighting options today on Menards.com. Save big money at so with EMT, 25-year-old Julia Fadam barely escaping with her life after being stabbed repeatedly, it's a loud wake-up call. Society must do more to protect EMTs from such attacks by unhinged people. One point of view is each time there is a 911 call for medical help involving an emotionally disturbed person, an NYPD officer also responds and provides an escort along with EMS to the hospital. That's something that should be seriously considered. The former president of the New York City Correction Officers Union, Norman Seabrook, believes that's the answer. What I'm talking about here is, for example, when an, when an EDP person is called, we know for the most part uh, police officers show up for a emotionally disturbed person. But they may then leave at that point. I'm, what I'm suggesting is that when a person responds to an EDP call, they are immediately um, accompanied by uniformed police officers. And I don't know whether they completely do it at 100% or they don't, and I'm not casting any blame. But after that, I think that the person that has been or is going to be the patient is then searched before they are cuffed, and, or, or if they're not cuffed, but at least searched and put into whatever restraints that's needed to be done, placed in the, the ambulance with an escort of a police officer in that vehicle with them to prevent any hostile uh, environment that they're going to go into. Because I think it's important, first of all, people have to understand when an EDP person is called, when someone calls an EDP person and, and, and you look at it directly, that person is a threat to somebody. So you already know that person is a threat, whether it be to themselves or to someone else. That being said, you're dealing with someone that is not thinking rationally. And now you're putting them in the hands of someone who is not properly trained to be able to deal with restraining this individual. So the knife getting in his, that was in his boot that he took out, thank God that the young lady's okay and, and she's going to recover. But it could have been a lot worse. And I think that those things are important. And I just think that if we are dealing with so many individuals on the streets of New York City right now who are dealing with emotional problems, 
We have to be able to try to combat that problem, but in a way that the person gets the help that they need, in a way that the public has the safety that they need, in a way that the EMS uh, individual operator of the vehicle or technician gets the protection that they need. Well, you know, Mr. Seabrook, the reason why I wanted to speak to you is because I remember well, as the uh, president of the Correctional Officers Union, you did not play. And in particular, what I'm talking about as it relates to the safety of your officers, you did not play. Nothing was negotiable when it came to the safety of uh, correction officers. So I'm sure you've seen the headlines over the troubles at Rikers, right? You spent a lot of time at Rikers in terms of as the president of the union of these officers. You would go there because I would often see you going there to visit your officers. And you had a take no prisoners approach. What's the answer to Rikers? I think that the answer to Rikers is that everybody needs to get in the room together and have someone command the ship. You can't have everybody wants to be a captain. You can't have 12 chiefs and no Indians. You, you have to be able to communicate and you have to land one plane at a time. You can't try to do 12, 15 things at a time. It doesn't work. You have to land one plane at a time, or you're going to have a disaster, whether it be on the runway or wherever it may be in life. And I think that if you do that, you will be able to combat the problems easily and more effectively. And you have to come to resolutions. Forget about the solutions. It has to be a resolution where you never have to revisit it again because you accomplished it. And you took care of it. Now, again, you you didn't you didn't play that game of oh the inmates the inmates what about their care oh the in-. your thing was protect my correction officers why? Because I think that it's important that not only that the correction officers be protected, the inmates have to be protected against themselves and others. And there are some officers who have done something that they shouldn't have done. And then you have those that have to be protected by the public. The, the city police department and every, everybody deserves protection to the utmost. But in having that protection to the utmost, everybody has to cooperate with each other in order to make it come together so that it's safe for everybody. And I didn't play when it came to protecting the lives of correction officers or their families. And I didn't play when it came to an inmate being assaulted in, in, by anybody. And I didn't play when it came to an, to an inmate stabbing another inmate half to death and, and didn't get rearrested or didn't get charged with, with additional charges. I think that we have to move forward now. I think that the answer is what's next. We have already seen all the other shows. It's reruns now. Mm. What's next? Mm. A new episode. So as somebody that's been around this city a long time, I have a funny feeling that you have a political career ahead of you. Round two. What are you willing to tell me as of right now? As of right now, I'm willing to tell you that God is still on the throne, Dominic. God is still on the throne. Mm. Are you interested in public office? I'm interested in doing what I've been directed to do. And, and I'm going to leave it like that. I, I think that uh, it's important. I'm, I'm actually going uh, August 5th, I believe it is. Uh, I'm going to uh, an event for young people with gun violence because it's out of control. It has to be um, 
talked about, but it has to be talked about with the people that it's affecting most. Mm. Uh, two adults, me and you talking about gun mm. control, yep, yippee-ki-yay. Mm. But I got, I got to talk to those that are directly involved in it now. Mm. You understand what I mean? So I got go you loud and clear. Like I that. got you. How, how did we get to the point that things are, you know, you and I, we talk about this all the time, two guys from the Bronx, public school education, both of us. What's going on with the kids these days? You and I both know that our borough with young people is out of control. What is going on, Norman Seabrook? I think that um, we're not talking to them. And when we talk to them, we're not talking with them. We're talking at them. And then we become afraid of them because they have a difference of opinion. And when they speak back, they speak back with maybe some aggressiveness in their voice that frightens the parent. And the parents sometimes are trying to become their friends as opposed to their parent. And we're missing the mark. And in order to get it back, we have to, like I said, speak to them, directly to them. It doesn't have to be your child. It could be the child down the street. But you have to start that communication, and you'll be surprised how far you'll go. You're strong, strong law enforcement. You always have been, right? And so the situation in Ohio, right? And I want—I know you're, you're a straight brother. You got, you're going to tell it to me the way it is with no chaser, right? And I like that about you. So we have a police officer in Ohio that has lost his job, the, 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 the handler of the canine unit, of the dog, because he let the leash go and the dog attacked the man and the man had been, the police had been chasing him and, and he didn't have a mud flap on his truck and, and you know the story. But I'm, I'm, I'm feeling a bit for the officer because this man has lost his career. And none of this had to be if the individual had just complied with the law. What is your take on this, Norman Seabrook? I think that the um, first, um, I listened to the tape that you played yesterday, and I heard uh, someone screaming or yelling commands not to release the dog, etc., etc. But my my point here is I don't know what that other officer heard. Whether right. he heard it right. or he didn't hear it. Right. I don't know if there's something wrong with his hearing. I don't know anything about what he felt at that moment. Now, I don't even know whether or not he was conscious of the fact or whether he was nervous. I don't know any of that. But I do know that I would have fought for the rights of that member not to lose his job. Maybe he would take a hit. He got to take a hit if he got to take a hit. But at the end of the day, I don't want to say he deserved to be fired because I don't know all the facts. So when you say you would have fought for that officer's job, why? Because I think that sometimes things happen in the heat of the moment. And in the heat of the moment, I can't, I'm not sitting in there. I can't Monday morning quarterback what he was feeling at that moment. So I don't understand all the circumstances involved. I don't even know whether or not he went and tried to pull the dog off of him. I don't know that either. There are so many variables that go with this, 
It has to be looked at, and, and, and that's why we have unions, and that's why we're supposed to fight for our members, and that's why we're supposed to fight for the public, and that's why we're supposed to fight for public employees, because I think it's very, very important that with the cost of living going up and everything skyrocketing, but salaries are not moving anywhere, and benefits are not moving anywhere, and they're trying to take away the uh, retirees' benefits for all municipal workers in the city of New York. It's insane. But in letting you go, Norman Seabrook, the former head of the Correction Officers Union in New York City, uh, you know that, 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 that I knew your daughters and, and, and lovely young ladies. Now, we started out talking about uh, the EM, EMS worker that was stabbed. Would you and you say that uh, the NYPD on these EDP calls should accommodate them? Would you let your daughters work uh, as EMS uh, employees, given how dangerous the job is? You know, I, I, I don't I don't want to say that. I don't think that's a fair question. And let me tell you why. Because what I know about unions and what I know about requesting things and putting it in writing gives me an advantage. If I was just a regular dad and said, oh, man, that's too dangerous for you. You can't do that, et cetera, et cetera. That's one thing. But if I'm a dad that comes from labor, I'd say to you, listen, I want you to request that an NYPD officer ride with you in the back of this cab all the way to the hospital to make sure that you're safe. And I want you to take it, put it in your logbook. If they say no, put it in the logbook. If you get whoever, do whatever you got to do to protect yourself, because it comes a thing with, did you ask for an escort? What do you mean, did I ask for an escort? It's an EDP. That's a person that already has a problem. What else do I have to write? What else do I have to say? You understand what I'm saying? Ohio, ready for some quick mental health facts? Let's go. Nearly 2 million Ohioans live with a mental health condition. In the U.S., more than 50% of people will be diagnosed with a mental illness in their lifetime. Depression is a leading cause of disability worldwide. So why are some of us still stigmatizing people living with a mental health condition when we know all of this? Let's listen to the facts and beat the stigma. Ohio, challenge what you know about mental health at beatthestigma.org. The mother of the New York City EMT stabbed repeatedly by the unhinged man is blaming the state's bail reform for the savage attack and says New York State has failed its people. Kara Fadam Grant, the mother of EMT Julia Fadam, wrote on Facebook that her daughter's accused attacker should have never been allowed to roam the streets given his extensive criminal history. She wrote, quote, fact, Rudy Garcia, 48 of the Bronx, New York, has eight prior arrests, including criminal possession of a weapon, assault, menacing with a weapon, drugs, burglary, and assault on a police officer. She went on to say he has been released back into civilization eight times. The mother, who is glad her 25-year-old EMT daughter, Julia Fadam, made it out alive, surviving the vicious attack. 
being stabbed repeatedly in the back of the ambulance by the unhinged man and has a very long road to recovery is correct when she wrote New York has failed its people. How is your bail reform working? To the medic, Julia Fodham, we are so sorry this happened to you. I respect and admire your tremendous tenacity that this will not break your spirit. Julia, you will go on to great things in life. And that is all the time we have for this episode. Thank you, folks, for joining us. If you are interested in my remarkable book on my life, No Mama's Boy, or even the Dominic Carter bobblehead doll, go to my website, all one word, DominicCarterOnline.com, DominicCarterOnline.com. I will personally sign the book for you. You can catch me on 77 WABC, weeknights, midnight to 1 a.m. Go check out the Dominic Carter merchandise at the 77 WABC store. From Dominic Carter t-shirts to hats and much more, go to WABC. ABCRadioStore.com. Also, follow me on YouTube where you will see videos from me about the podcast and the radio show. YouTube.com forward slash Dominic Carter. We will see you the next time. Dominic Carter, Red Apple Podcast, Talk Radio 77, WABC. I gotta make it. Dominic Carter Socials on Twitter at Dominic TV and Facebook and Instagram. Dominic Carter TV. Email at Dominic.Carter at WABCRadio.com. Until the next episode, be well. And as Dominic always says, stay positive. The glass is always half full, never half empty. Dominic Carter City Hall. This is Greg Kelly for Priority Gold. What does it mean to be America's precious metals dealer? It means that you're in touch with the hearts and minds of those who love this country, value our freedom, and want to protect the future. Priority Gold is that precious metals dealer. They've helped thousands of Americans back their retirement with solid gold and silver. Call Priority Gold at 888-506-6439. Receive free shipping, free storage, a free investment guide, and one of the best purchase experiences in the industry. Call now or go to PriorityGold.com.